Sephora stores are everywhere you are. So just pop in when you need a brown lip to match your 90s playlist, a confidence boost before your interview, or a last-minute gift for mom's birthday. There's always a Sephora near you. Just pop in. Use our store locator to find your local Sephora or Sephora at Kohl's. COVID was something that helped me like navigate some of my wounds because for me, I, you know, experienced confinement again. And a lot of us were confined in a space away from our loved ones, not being able to see each other, not knowing what we were expecting from COVID. We just know it was something life-threatening. And that put me kind of back inside my house, inside me. And that took me to my work. You are listening to Change Lab, conversations on transformation and creativity. I'm Lauren Buckman, president of Art Centre College of Design. It's been four years since I last spoke with Jackie and Mesquita. Back then, she was an Art Centre fine arts student on the cusp of graduating. In our raw and revealing interview, she traced the arduous path she'd walked to find the stability she needed to risk everything for her art. Her remarkable journey, captured in episode 14 of this podcast, began in her native Guatemala, where surging violence and poverty had forced Jackie's mother to migrate to the United States. At age 17, Jackie followed her mother's footsteps to the U.S., quite literally, and barely survived a dangerous border crossing. Eventually, her journey landed her at Art Center, where her thesis project, entitled Footsteps That Sprout, took her on another grueling trek from the Tijuana border all the way to downtown Los Angeles. The power of her resilience and grit stuck with me these past years as an example of a purpose-driven artist whose message brilliantly aligns with her chosen medium. I've held her story close to my heart, and the hardships she's transmuted into art resonated all the more this season as we explore the alchemy of creativity and adversity. It's for those reasons that I've asked Jackie to join us as Change Lab's first returning guest, even as she puts the finishing touches on her MFA thesis at UCLA. Not only did I want to know more about her investigation into grief and displacement, I was also fascinated by the bravery and creative energy it took to revisit her trauma and to give depth and dimension to a painful story that needed to be told. I had a feeling that we might have even more to learn from Jackie, and I wasn't wrong. Please enjoy my conversation with Jackie and Mesquita. Well, welcome back to Change Lab, Jackie. You're our first and, and only returning champion, actually. So that's a, a distinction there. <laughs> and uh, when we spoke in June of 2018, you told exquisitely this very powerful story about how you came to the U.S. from Guatemala to be with your mom and the journey you took to, to get here, the risks and the fear and the triumphs as well. And 
the beautiful work that's ensued as you've explored all the questions that result from the experience that you had and all that you went through. And I, I want to really return to that. I want to see what happens in the ensuing years. I'm interested in the central figures of the story of certainly you as that kind of central heroine, which I want to follow up mostly, but your brother and your grandmother and your father and your mother, all of whom played significant roles in the story you told. And so I was thinking that today, to explore what has happened in the last four years, there would be sort of three major areas of conversation that we could pursue. One that has to do with your work and what's happened to your work over the last several years. The second, to catch up on your family who get woven into your story and into your life in such important ways. And then finally, your own personal growth in this period of time, something that was so compelling when we first spoke, but I know has taken all kinds of interesting turns and developments. And really, hopefully, to get at this question that we're trying to address this season about the relationship between our creative practice and some kind of healing or finding balance and writing things that may be a little off somehow in our lives. So let's start with your work, because that'll be the fulcrum. And there are specifics I want to ask about certain projects that you did, but it'd be interesting just to start generally and ask you how you characterize these years and your work and your journey as an artist since you graduated from Art Center, which is when we spoke. I think I can start with like a, maybe like a metaphor of how these four years have been for me. It's just like earth moving like the tectonic plates trying to align and with the movement are creating this different form above the ground and opening up uh, new possibilities for growth interiorly and exteriorly, I will say. Mm -hmm. Maybe a good place to start would be a second kind of border-based piece that you did, performance that you did. I think in 2019, I mean, it has echoes of the first one that you did here that we talked about quite a lot in the last episode. But this time, as I understand it, traveling from the U.S.-Mexico border to the Mexico-Guatemala border, and would like to invite you to tell the listeners about that and what happened and maybe how it varied and new things you discovered in comparison to the first journey. Yeah, well, the second performance, it's called the Norte Azul from north uh, to south. And I travel from the border of Tijuana, Mexico, all the way down to the border of Tapachula in Tecumán, Guatemala. And this journey was not walking all the way. It was walking in the city, but taking like public transportation to arrive to my final destination. This journey, I collaborated with people in my surroundings. I was asking people how to get from one place to another place. I had like a map of different locations to follow, but I was interacting with people in Mexico and asking what will be the best route to take to get to my next step. Or if they have any like recommendations of places or things to look around that have to be like native of Mexico. I was really interesting in street food and Mexican cuisine during this travel, but I was also interested in kind of closing the cycle of coming from Guatemala to the U.S. and 
then going back mm-hmm. and not following my same steps, but allowing other people to help me navigate, to meet again and reunite with my mother and my brother on Tapachula, Chiapas. And because my brother has asylum in the country, he cannot go back to Guatemala. So that was kind of like the closest place that he could be from uh, Guatemalan soil. And also in this performance, I'm bringing up my family. So my family is coming together to support my artistic practice. And we're kind of like learning also about each other in this like moments that we are allowed to just be together. There's a different relationship from, you know, I'm not the mom in that moment. In that moment, my mom is the mom and I just want to be the daughter and I just want to be the sister. I'm not that child raising my brother anymore and having that kind of relationship. So it sounds like it was at once a resetting of what was in terms of the past and the relationships that existed and simultaneously trying to set forward how those relationships can operate, what the dynamic is, and how you might move forward. Is that an accurate right. way to think about it? Right. And I think particularly because I'm in this situation, there's this emotional challenge because we are still like in a negotiation of relationships and until today I I feel that we're trying to get to know each other after not being with my brother for like 16 years you know I've been in the country now for 18 years and I look back at those 18 years in Guatemala and I look back at this 18 years in the U.S. and in all these cycles that have like repetitive happen in my family of like displacement in diaspora in how we're trying to reintegrate this relationship. In the conversation we had about your first journey, walking was a key piece and walking that held a certain significance, kind of resiliency, kind of personal power, way to understand what the body carried and the experience that the body carried. And you spoke so beautifully about that. I know you said you took public transportation this time in certain places in addition to walking, but were you exploring similarly that same notion of movement? And I I remember very clearly moving soil from place to place, even in its tiniest varieties. Yeah, this time I think uh, Huellasca Germina was sort of like the foundation for me to start interacting with my body in the landscape and and thinking about soil as a material, but more like an ingredient that has like history and memory and mm-hmm. I think state lines and, and country lines that mark a separation between nature, humans and like animals. And I continue working in that direction, gathering soil around my navigation, and not just thinking about me. I think all the people that have passed there, that have left part of their DNA, their essence as humans, and how Earth is this, you know, whole history of archival of what humans are 
in connection with animals, in connection with plants. And I still have the soil that I acquired during my journey from the Norte a Sur in Tijuana, Mexico, in one of my friends' house. And I've been thinking about what I'm going to do with the soil that is being contained in these bottles. Mm -hmm. And I think just to refresh a little bit about my intention with, you know, acquiring the soil in bottles, it was because I was thinking about what happened with the bottle of water that I left behind when I had to run from immigration chasing me. Here's how Jackie described that incident in our first interview. My body was physically tired. I couldn't take it anymore. I was done. I, I felt like I needed to take a break, but I had no choice. I had to continue. So it was it was a big group of people. I can't remember how many we were, but I will guess like between like maybe 15, 20, 25. There was this mom with um, her nephew who was like three years old and she had a like a brand new baby um he was two weeks old and uh we were hiding in the desert and all of a sudden we heard like run you know they're coming so we just like started like running and i had like one of those like one liter bottle of waters with me that was my whole source of life for the two weeks that we were gonna walk in the desert and i had to like leave it behind so I could like run faster and not get caught. But when everybody run, this mom with a baby run away, but she left the little boy behind. Mm. And I couldn't think, I just react pretty much in the moment. And I stopped and I knew I was gonna get caught, but I couldn't leave that little boy there because I was feeling that Immigration was just not going to care about him and just leave him there. And he was going to be eaten by a coyote or an animal. I, I couldn't. So I turned around. I went to grab him. And of course, I got caught because of that. Thinking about the body as the vessel that holds life. And all these other bodies that I don't know if they make it or not. And this journeys. So with that intention in mind, I continue acquiring the soil. Now you're at UCLA and I'm really interested in your choice of that program and if we could then fast forward to your thesis which i'm very interested in too and i think listeners would be fascinated to learn what you're doing yeah i think that covid was something that helped me like navigate some of my wounds because for me i you know experience confinement again. And a lot of us were confined in a space away from our loved ones, not being able to see each other, not knowing what we were expecting from COVID. We just know it was something life-threatening. And that put me kind of back inside my house, inside me. 
And that took me to my work and thinking about all these bottles of soil that I have acquired throughout my travels in the U.S. from visiting my family from Los Angeles to North Carolina. As I mentioned, some of my family members are still undocumented, so they cannot fly. So we have to do this travel on land. And thinking about how I was not able to be in the States and how my body had the privilege to of mobility. That is something that, that I think I wanted to talk about in Huellasque Germinan and thinking about that. I gather all this soil from the States and then I had it with me. But during COVID, I was not able to go to the border and do some of my activism where I bring aid to families who are seeking asylum in these provisional shelters. So I kind of went back and started like looking into like my computer files and what do I have that is interesting to me to make work in a place of confinement. And that took me to to find some information from like family members that have been detained in detention centers and also myself. And I gather this list of deaths in ICE detention centers since 2003, when I was looking for a family member in 2014. And I realized that the list from the website ICE.gov was not part of their system anymore. And so I just continued looking to see where this list went. These are lists of people who are in the detention centers? This is a list of people who die in ICE custody. And so when when you're looking for a family member who is being detained for ICE, you go on their website and you put their name and date of birth. And it tells you if this person is registered in any of these detention centers. So if you cannot find this person registered in any of this detention centers, you know, there's another list where you can look for your family member in case is deceased and you could find them there. So I, I kind of focus on this list because this list was not a public record anymore. It was not on their website. And so from 2017 to 2018, this list was not being upgraded in April 2018, when I graduated from our center, they started like posting again the names of people who were passing in detention centers. So there's a gap between June 2017 to April 2018, where there's no list of deaths. So this erasure that happened between this 10 months was something that I was interested in and thinking about how I had all this soil like encapsulated in these bottles. And I felt that I wanted to like release it. Mm. And from there, I started casting the name of people who passed in detention centers using the soil from that specific state where they pass. And using the same recipe, I will say, soil from the state, salt, in rainwater to kind of re-embody their bodies again. And is that same time period still unavailable or did they fill it in? 
no, it's still unavailable. I started like printing out articles online with the names of children who passed in detention centers. Hmm. And then when I started like looking at the dates and that this happened, it's kind of in between this period of time. So the list that I'm like documenting now, I'm making this panels out of drywall where I carve in and I embed the casted names out of soil. So my thesis is pretty much a recollection of these three documents. The first list from 2003 to 2017, the gap that is between, and the last list that they're providing us from April 2018 until now. And I'm just thinking about how we can re-embody these names and how this is not, I understand that this is not existing as a public record anymore, but I'm trying to bring these documents and, and for example, the name of the children, I'm not casting them with soil because I, I, I felt that they were not included in the system. And I decided to shred all these articles and newspapers with their information to cast their names and thinking about like life and renewal and like closing cycles and thinking about the children that are still detained in these places and understanding that it, it, it was a tragedy what happened to this these kids, but there's still more. And I added some chia seeds to their names. And we'll see if for my thesis, they will be ready to sprout and take a little bit of a life form into the space. I'm trying to formulate this question, but it has to do with your insight into memory, how memory works. It sounds when you speak as if memory is almost a sixth sense of sorts that harkens back in echoes, probably for generations, not necessarily specific, but there's a kind of reverberation of the past in the kind of memory that you explore. The body holds memory. I'm curious to hear you reflect a little bit more on on memory, the importance of memorializing, of giving form to it, all the work that you're doing around that, that brings us to feel, engage, understand something in a, in a new way. I think a lot about like generational trauma and how there's all these repetitive histories of displacement in my family. Like I think about my grandmother and her indigenous community in Mexico that I don't know a lot about, but her family had to migrate to the South in Guatemala. I think about how my 
dad's father had to walk from his town in Totonicapan in Guatemala to the city of Quetzaltenango, where I am from, as a seven-year-old child because he was an orphan in order to survive. And then I think about how that might be passed down, you know, to my mother, to my father. And then my mother at a young age, you know, at 20 years old, she migrates from Guatemala to the U.S., you know, in search of work so she can provide for her family. And then there's me. <laughs> there's me at, you know, 17, trying to reunite with my mother. Here's Jackie again, back in 2018, speaking movingly about her mindset as she embarked on that dangerous journey. I was just very sad that I never like had my mom with me and sure. that I could have the opportunity to be with her. And like growing up and being in high school and seeing all my friends um, having their moms and their shoulders when they were sad or things could, you know, could happen, gave me like the courage to come here with some people, not friends of the family, but people that my my family knew that could like bring me here and make safe that I was going to make it, that I was not going to be burning um, trash can in Mexico or this be destroyed in acid, um, a person that they knew was going to like help me get across. So even if we don't know the stories, our bodies hold this memory. It's just how I look like my mom and my dad, and my mom can look like her dad and her mother. And we are passing down these genetics to our next generations. I lost my dad in 2018. I think that it was a really big loss to me, but within... You know, the lost and the pain and the love, I had to dig in deeper <laughs> and find that healing for myself. But it was not just the loss of my dad. It's just these other things that I lost from my childhood and my life. And with your dad, as I recall, there were levels of loss. I mean, you didn't see him for a long period of time, over a decade, as I recall, correct? Right, right, right. So you, you had sort of, quote unquote, lost him at that time, but reconnected with him, found him again. Exactly. And then experienced that next cycle of loss that you're just describing now. Right. And my intention, I, I had this performance in mind. My intention was to have my father travel from Guatemala to Tijuana, like doing this trip, the two of us hmm. together, so he could reunite with my brother and meet his grandkids, but it didn't happen. <laughs> so I, I, I had to, you know, kind of go back in me and think about like, okay, so this is not happening with my dad and how I had to like craft it in a way different where I can still involve my family and have that healing aspect 
in there. And I had my brother be part of this. He met me at the, the border of Tapachula, Mexico with my mother. And then I have my, co my cousin Jonas, who traveled with me from Mexico City all the way down to Tapachula and finding this, you know, connections of our family's history and how we, in a way, we're kind of like re-embodying that, but in a different way, in a way that we understand, that we accept, that we have affection for each other, in a way that we have compassion for ourselves. We look at the landscape from a place of love, so we can give that to ourselves, so we can, we can give that to other people. And so this gets directly to this question that we're trying to think about on the podcast this season about the creative impulse and the healing impulse and that re-embodying reconfiguration with a cast on it that provides a more open, healthier, maybe even more honest, certainly a more aware connection with what you're creating. That's sort of behind what I was trying to get at before as you create new things, new form in the body or with the soil and the rainwater, etc. that it's all reconstituting something so that we remember, but we can look again or understand it, face it, deal with it in as, again, honest a way as possible. Right. And there's like external factors too that, you know, play with like this healing aspect of also like re-embodying. I broke my finger in February and I wanted to do, you know, this big elaborated project by myself, you know, and I, I started working pretty much in this project during COVID. In 2020, my brother visited with his family from North Carolina. So they travel all the way from North Carolina to Los Angeles in a car and he was able to get me some of the soil on his way. So it becomes, you know, again, this like performative, collaborative uh, project between my family. And then right now, because I broke my finger and my mom comes into the picture and together we're like molding the names, casting them, drilling on these walls, like making space for them to take place, talking about them talking about her going to Guatemala. There's, you know, this, there's this also this angry little nine-year-old Jackie that sometimes comes up and is like, you didn't bring me here before. And, you know, and through that, we're like connecting. We're learning from each other. And the dynamic also changes because I'm telling my mom, what to do, <laughs> you know? Hey, mom, I need, no, this is it's, how. It's, it sounds like you might've done that when you were 17 too, when you first saw her, or maybe six months later, I think you said, yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I really wanted to explore the work you've been doing and you've been so eloquent about that. And then to think about your family, but it's also interwoven that it's almost impossible to separate the two. 
Tell us how your mother is, though. I mean, again, she was such a central figure. So she's actually with you now, working with you now. I assume your fingers healed, but she's still around. And you're yeah. collaborating in a way? Yes, we are. We are. She was pretty much my right hand. It's difficult still for us to, I think, maybe a little bit more from my mom to accept certain things about me. And same thing goes for me. There's certain things that, you know, I don't accept you know even though they're two different things and like you said like this is this is interwoven and i think because part of like healing my you know this little jackie you know and i think about all these kids that are in detention centers away from their parents and how important it is as a child to have that adult and how all these children in these detention centers and how the older children that are in these detention centers have to be the adults for the little ones. And as you were for your brother. Exactly. Exactly. And of course, it's like different um, conditions because I was under my grandma's care, but I, I was that for my brother when my grandma had to go to work and I was just little. I was just a kid. And I think a lot about that. I think a lot about what is going to be life for all these children in 10 years. How do we as part of uh, a community here in the U.S. are also responsible for that? And what are the choices that we make in order to create change within us to create that bigger change around us. The Associated Press detailed conditions inside a Customs and Border Patrol detention center in Clint, Texas, where allegedly 250 infants, children, and teenagers are being held. According to the AP, there's not adequate food, water, or sanitation inside. The report describes teen mothers and other younger kids being asked to care for infants and toddlers on their own, with little or no help from any adults. And so to get to you and your own personal growth, maybe that's a great transition. And so how does, for you, to ask the question quite directly, creative practice bring you closer to that possibility and to that really moral responsibility that you just articulated? I think that is getting it out of my body (laughs) and just embodying this, you know, in the form with the material, in the building, in the making, in the perspective of like taking it out and putting it out in a physical form that is not within me. So I can reflect on that because there's a lot of, I'm sure a lot of subconscious things that I put into the work. Well, I was going to ask that, right? I mean, the isolated child, right? Mm-hmm. It's a hu- huge theme. And when I mean, getting it out of your body, that must be, that experience must be part of it too. And a kind of healing, or if not, I don't always know that that's the right word. I've been stumbling upon it for a few months now. But, and if it's not healing, then it's, it's some kind of growth. It's some kind of further discovery. It's some kind of balancing. I don't know what the best word is. I don't mean to suggest closure with healing. I mean mm-hmm. to suggest it's a, process of 
of discovery, right? Yeah, and I think this is what I mean, you know, by by the metaphor of the tectonic plates realigning, like moving yeah. and creating this different form that is going to come up in the surface. But that rocking, like that moving, that uncomfortable and sometimes very trouble, it's necessary to create, you know, that change within me. And it's a process. And I think healing is a life process, but I'm trying to see it from a place of affection. I want to listen in, listen to my body from love and un- understanding. Does anger play a part for you too? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think for a very long time, I wasn't able to feel angry. And also as a child, I was just giving tasks like, this is what you need to do. No, this is not okay. And I think I'm giving myself a good present of being in therapy and working in therapy with with this holders, I will say, because, <laughs> you know, they're, they hold us in a way that we cannot be our full selves. And I just started like some somatic therapy this past week. And, mm. and it's the process and it's a life discovery. Yeah. Well, given all that you carry and how much you are aware of what your body carries in terms of memory and identity and past and movement and future, <laughs> it sounds like it's a, a direction that could be one of great positive growth for you, I think. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I think that I'm at this moment in my life right now, you know, it's been 18 years I went through ESL, community college, our center, and I'm getting my master's <laughs> at my, yeah. you know, one of um, my dream schools. And I have so much gratitude. I have created a community of friends. And going back to Guatemala and being in Guatemala and being here and going back there and being here and being able to navigate and create uh, new relationships with strangers and having that privilege of mobility has like really play a big part in my healing journey. Well, thank you. I I just so love listening to you. I, I learned so much from you. I think the relationship that we're trying to explore between our creative lives and some kind of healing manifested in your work in really profound ways. And I learn about memory. I learn about the body, what it knows and what it holds and how it becomes a kind of resource for that memory to find expression. And in that expression to take your hands and to create something and use the body in turn to to create that form of transformation and then how it ultimately you know feeds who you are your your identity our identities the identity of your family of your people of a history you certainly open up my heart and i'm i'm really grateful to you for taking the time today and for sharing again we're if i may so incredibly proud of you and you're such an important part of this community and it's just wonderful to see you thrive in the way you are so thank you thank you Thank you, Lauren. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure for me to be here in conversation with you again. 
Change Lab is produced out of Art Centre College of Design. I'd like to extend a special thanks to our small but mighty production staff, producer Christine Spines, co-producer Lauren Mahoney, editor Emily Van Bergen, and post-production supervisor and production consultant Christopher Olin. Please take a moment to support us. You can do this by heading to Spotify or Apple Podcasts to rate and review our show. And while you're at it, share us with someone who is curious about the creative process. That's it for this week on Change Lab.